Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. And I am so excited. We have the author of Sanctuary here, C.L. Tolbert. And where do you find out what Emma Thornton is up to now? Oh, my God. James Causeway, the charismatic leader of, a, I hope I say this right, the Japrinus. 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 Yeah. <laughs> is found dead. One late afternoon, his body draped over an iron gate. Well, that's painful. In the courtyard of the 19th century house where he and several cult members work and live. You don't want to know what's behind it, but you're about to find out when poor Stacy Roberts is framed. Good morning to the author, C.L. Tolbert, and welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Me too, because this was one of my better books for this month. Oh, um, great. I just, Thank you. I just sat down and read it, and I read it. I won't tell you which author I read yesterday, New York Times author, and I go like, why me? Um, yeah. <laughs> so give us a short summary. In the last book, as I remember, Emma used her students to help her. In this one, she decided to go it alone. So tell us about the difference in this one. Well, the and the the last, uh, she runs a homelessness clinic um, at the law school where she works, and there are certain criteria that you have to meet, the poverty guidelines and that sort of thing. And there were some uh, access that um, Stacy actually had to money through her mom. Mm. Even though she didn't want to tap into that, um, Emma thought she probably could, and so she thought she wouldn't um, enroll her in the uh, homeless clinic there and let her students get involved with this particular case. So um, Stacy um, is a 19-year-old girl who Emma represented when she was 16 and a runaway. And the um, Stacy was arrested because police found some um, drugs and syringes and that sort of thing in her bedroom. And so uh, Emma doesn't believe she's, she's been accused of killing the uh, leader of the Jaffa Prajna cult. And Emma just doesn't believe that she is capable of that sort of thing. So she takes the case. And um, she begins her investigation into the cult and its members. So. That, this is a tough one. Cults are horrible. You've got to be yeah. so many people get sucked into it. So tell me about the other, my other favorite character besides Emma. Tell us about Wren. Well, Wren and Emma met uh, back in book one. Um, she was a law student, and he was the chief deputy sheriff in Jonesburg, um, 
uh, Georgia, which is a fictional town, um, and she's working on her very first um, murder case. Uh, she works for a local attorney. She's a third-year law student. And they work together and um, decide because they are, you know, um, working on opposite sides of the case that even though they're very attracted to each other, they're not going to see each other. But they have one more uh, dinner out of town, and that night um, somebody pushes Ren's car off of a bridge, and they land in an empty riverbed, near, just barely escaping death. And at that point, they realize how much they care about each other, they still keep their distance throughout the case, but uh, Ren sort of keeps a protective eye on on Emma um, throughout the case. And then Emma decides to accept a job in New Orleans, Louisiana, and she leaves. So Ren and, and um, Emma carry on a long-distance relationship for about four years until he moves to New Orleans. And he takes a job there as a... Um, as a as a sergeant with the New Orleans Police Department in the um, the um, one of the units there, and um, he he sort of is her support. He's her essentially her guardian angel. And in um, the case Sanctuary, he's he's still around, and they just have, he's a very supportive influence in the family. Emma has twin boys. And he's helpful with the boys, and he's, um, he's always got a shoulder that she can lean on when she needs to, even though she's pretty independent. <laughs> I like him, though. He's one of my favorite yeah. people. Yeah, because he's he really a great guy. is genuine. And for somebody to take care of some two boys, the two boys are great anyway. I mean, that's what makes them even better. Yeah. So. Let's talk about state. You know, everybody's taught that when you get arrested, God forbid, that you keep your mouth shut and don't talk to a lawyer. Go talk to the police because they're not exactly right. your best friend. So she talks to them, and what should why shouldn't why did she make a mistake, and how did you create her past? I like poor Stacy. Well, I like Stacy too. Well, the first mistake she makes, she doesn't realize that the police have found she's in the house. They come in, they do an investigation of the entire house, and then they knock on her door, and they want to inspect her, her bedroom. And so she she doesn't have any objection to that. And she uh, goes and sits down in the kitchen and waits for them to come back or to let her know everything's fine. And instead they come and they start questioning her, and they ask if they can question her. They go ahead and read her a Miranda rights. And she's starting to get a little nervous when they do that. But they asked her about some syringes they found in the room, and she said, no, I don't use any sort of medicine that will require syringes. And that statement gets her in more trouble because they then ask, well, if you don't take any medicine that would require syringes, why are the syringes in your bedroom? Why are the mm. drugs found in your bedroom? And, of course, you know, we all have certain rights and um, she is 19 and naive but we're all familiar with the Fifth Amendment right it applies to everybody you never have to talk to a police officer whether you're under arrest or not under arrest if they're asking you about you about a crime you know nothing about you don't have to say a thing you have a Fifth Amendment right to remain silent and it's wise 
to do so in most situations. Um, and then you, under the Sixth Amendment, you always have the right to have an attorney present. And the, return, and the attorney would prevent the um, person who is being questioned from answering. That's precisely the role they would take. Um, it, it, it's a mistake to talk to the police because if you lie or you know, inadvertently say something that's not quite true, they can arrest you for that in and of itself. That's scary. Even, yeah. And anything you say to the police can be used against you. That's part of the Miranda warning. So there are several good reasons to not talk to police officers, and Stacy kind of messed up when she did. And she did because she didn't think there was any problem in her room. Well, she knew she was innocent in her own mind. It, it's, right. it's scary. It's it's really scary because I watch Vanished and um, un, Uncovered Secrets and all, Undiscovered Secrets and all of that, and I watch the police. But I think the scariest thing that happened was last week we were riding, and a police car pulled us over. And my husband looked at me and says, we didn't do anything. And I just said to the guy, what's up? What happened? What did we do? He says, I am so sorry. It was the wrong car. Oh, my goodness. Um, I was like, why did you pull us over? It was like he was really, like, upset. So I said, what did we do? He said, I thought you didn't have your stickers, or I thought that there was something wrong with your license. And he gave him, my husband gave him his license and whatever, and he said, I'm really sorry to have pulled you over. I apologize. And he looked at me. I said, you know what? People make mistakes. No big deal. And yeah. he, he just, yeah. he, he got, he said I could have reported that. Nah, he wouldn't mean it. It's, it's scary. So tell this this temple is frightening. Tell us about the yes. temple and their purpose and who was James. And after I learned why he was killed, I go, oh, well. Yes, exactly. Well, James is a piece of work, but the temple was founded by his dad, J.R. Yeah. Crosby. He was a sincere guy, and he he founded the Jaffa Prajnas in, in the 1930s in Idaho. Um, his mm. teachings were based in part on Hindu practices and yoga and the Hindu belief that mindfulness was promoted through meditation. The word Jaffa means repetitive chanting, and Prajna is a Hindu word for Wisdom. So it was like through chanting or meditation, you attain wisdom. Um, but James, um, who inherited the um, the Jaffa Prajna's group after his dad died of a stroke in 1978, was more uh, enterprising than his dad, and he treated the temple as a business. He believed he'd be more. He ran essentially what he did is he ran the the whole works into the ground in Idaho. It was nearly bankrupt, and he decided to sell what he could and uh, get down to New Orleans, where he thought um, he could do do better business. And plus, he just sort of liked New Orleans. Uh, it was a place that um, appealed to him. Um, but he was just a very um, manipulative man. Um, they. You know, they they used every trick in the book to manipulate members and the people who worked um, for them uh, in, in every way they could. Um, he would charge for all of his help sessions. He would um, make people who had a lot of money um, um, sort of leaders in the group, commanders they were called. 
and mm. he would charge them money in, for that. He said they would, that would cost them thousands of dollars a month. The thing of it is, is that a lot of people who join cults are are not if not well off, they're comfortable, and they're often well educated, which surprised me when I did my research. And mm. they're just looking. And they're in a period of transition. They're vulnerable. They're in the middle of divorce, or they're graduating from school, and they're looking for ways to make themselves better and ways to make the world better. So when he's asking them to contribute money, they're gladly doing this, which is sad. And he's he's just a he's a corrupt individual, and he's he's got a problem with drugs. So. Well, well, he also has something well, on all of these people, so they sort of, he sort of like, well, a couple right. of them, he had a, a sort of blackmailed them and said, if you don't do this, I'm going to just come out with what you've done, even though they didn't do anything really wrong. So Yes, that's part of his, he, he, uses, he manipulates people in many ways. Blackmail is one, because in their self-help sessions, he, he learns, mm. he asks them to essentially confess, tell them things that they're uncomfortable about in their life, that they've done, that they're not pleased with. And he takes this information and then uses it later to extract money from them. Well, there's another group that he prayed on as we meet them. And this was, he liked to pray on homeless young girls because where are they yes. going to go? So we've got yes. Cecilia, mm-hmm, Mira, Natalia, yeah. Raphael, Raymond, James, and they set up Stacy. So who are all these people and how did they worm into this? Because each one of them had a job. Each one of them was related yeah. to something. Well, Cecilia was his wife, and she yeah. was one of the commanders in the cult, too. She ran. She was had a nursing degree, and she ran the uh, spa and all the massage um, and the spa and the and the spa employees and the massage girls, as they're called. Um, mm. And then Mira is the second principal in um, the group. And she managed their French Quarter smoking shop, which sold drug paraphernalia. She also has a child named Jimmy, who happens to be James' son, a little four-year-old boy named Jimmy. Mm. Um, there's uh, Natalia, who is a uh, who works in the spa as well, and she is an immigrant from Russia. Natalia overstayed her student visa when she was found by the Japa Prajnas and recruited to um, uh, work at the uh, temple. She was she was offered a, a job at the spa, and she was happy to take the position, but she didn't realize she was exchanging room and board for salary. So what their scheme mm-hmm. was, these girls, they would recruit down in the French Quarter, was to, well, they preyed on girls who were, who were homeless, essentially. And then promises them this position that she gave them room and board, but they didn't know that they were taking that amount and subtracting it from whatever salary they would get. So they essentially had no money, and Natalia was stuck. She couldn't um, leave the country without proper visa and immigration documents, and she had Mm. no money so that she could better herself. And they did this with with several girls. They did this with... um, a girl named Mariana as well. Now, Raphael, Raphael was another um, fellow who worked there. He moved with them from um, Idaho. He was 
an admirer of J.R. Crosby, but he had the number on James. He knew what James was all about. Mm-hmm. But Raphael went ahead and moved down with them because he just never really felt comfortable in Idaho. It wasn't his sort of state. He didn't know he was born there. He didn't like it very much. So he thought, New Orleans kind of appeals to me, so he came down with them, and he helped them um, with the refurbishment of their of that uh, 19th century home they bought. And he did massages, and he, he, he drove the massage girls back and forth because they also worked at the French Quarter shop. Mm. And he was just sort of an all-around guy. He did all kinds of things for them. But um, he seems like a very happy-go-lucky kind of character, but he also had a serious side. He really wanted to help people and really wanted to help the massage girls and people who were um, um, – in, in need, and he was he was successful at doing that. He's he's and even though it seems like he's a bad guy at first, he's a pretty good guy. Well, um, surprises about so, him that we won't say. Uh, exactly, exactly. So um, Emma Emma's good at this. So how does she decide where to begin? How does she investigate? And then we're going to talk about Mira. Hmm. Yep, poor Mira. Well, Emma is an attorney, so her method of investigation really yeah. is just to interview um, the cult member. She had a sense that there was something that was amiss. And so she started her investigation by speaking to um, all the people who were there that day at the house when James um, fell off the balcony. And um, sometimes people, if you, if you ask the same question of, of different people, um, sometimes you get different answers. And so she started um, progressing through the individuals that were there and letting those those answers to those questions take her elsewhere in her investigation. And she um, she has pretty good instincts, too. And... Uh, her suspicions sort of lead to the resolution of the of the case, as you would imagine. Well, before I forget, I don't want to forget. Uh, for those of you that haven't read Sanctuary, my review is on Just Reviews. It's been there since yesterday, so I wouldn't forget. And it's on Just Reviews? Just Reviews, that's me. <laughs> okay. I'm going to send the link. I'm going to send the link to... Um, to Gina, because that's how it works. And my 25 okay. stars were just accepted by Amazon. It takes a while oh. sometimes for them to tell me that I'm wonderful, but they think I am. That's all that really matters. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. I just well, That's wonderful. So I just have to make sure. Nope, it's right there. It's right there. I'm going to send it to her right now because Great. it's right there. My uh, Yeah, my five stars are there. And the New York Times author that I won't say got four. Actually, he deserved three and a half. But that's beside the point. Oh, my goodness. So, oh, thank you so much. That's wonderful. Yeah, I thank haven't been you. giving five stars in a while, and it's like, okay, that was easy. And I, oh, I posted the great. day before because I get busy in the morning, and I don't want to forget. So now we have Mira. Why does she seem to be under serious control and on drugs? I was worried about her. Well, she, um, Cecilia is, um, of course, jealous of the fact that Mira had 
um, her husband's um, child, even though she um, certainly pretends not to be. They live in the same house together. They do chores together. They Mm -hmm. run the business together. Um, But, um, you know, Cecilia's got her own problems, and one of which she couldn't have her own children. Um, And so she discovers that uh, Mira has... um, um, problems with drugs herself, and so she threatens um, her and gets her to, and sort of manipulates her. She, she's picking up on the behavior of her husband, I guess, and uh, gets her to, to do things because of it. She's, um, you know, a big threat to Mira always would be losing her child, and um, so that some of the problems that are um, surround the um, manipulation uh, that Cecilia is trying. So, you know, there I can't give away too much here because there there are some complexities in this relationship, several complexities. Um, so then, and things are not quite happening in that household. Why didn't she want her mother's help? help? She, she didn't, didn't want to deal with things. her mother. No, um, well, when she was 16, you know, she ran away from home because they had a conflict. And then she was arrested, and she and Emma encouraged her to call her mom at that time and um, get bail, and Stacy did. And the, the mother was, um, you know, she thought she was going to be helpful, but the mother was very critical of Stacy for sort of being a loser, being in a situation where she could get arrested, for being homeless on the street, and that kind of thing. So Stacy swore she wasn't going to ever ask her mother for another thing. That's one aspect of the problem. Another is that Stacy's mom made some mistakes herself in um, in her life when she was young, and she did not want. Stacy to repeat those mistakes. So instead of being kind and loving and helping and nurturing, she was controlling. And mm-hmm. she presented the image of being perfect, and of course none of us are. And um, she was she implied that she wanted Stacy to be just like her. And Stacy wasn't to, um, just like her mother. She tried to manipulate who she was friends with and who she dated and all that kind of thing, which is one of the reasons that um, Stacy left and ran away from home at age 16. So this is a complicated um, relationship, as most mother-daughter relationships are. And mm-hmm. um, the the mom loves her daughter, but she just has a real hard time um, Showing that, and 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 she does it by attempting to control, which just doesn't work. She's just like my mother. My mother <laughs> was <laughs> yeah. Uh, my mother was extremely difficult. Um, she believed that I had to be perfect, like her, and yeah. she believed that yeah, it was hard. It was hard growing up like that. And my sister, and my brother, didn't have to deal with that. And I had to get 100 on every test if I didn't know how to write it over. If I got 99, I had to write the whole test over. So I, I, yeah. I understand where, where she's coming from. So exactly. Who is, who is Mariana Hernandez? 
And what does Miriam she reveal Amanda. about James? Oh, James is a real character, people. James is a character. Um, Marian Hernandez was a um, 17, 18-year-old girl who was living with her parents, and uh, she was 17 when this happened. Parents had to go to Mexico because they were immigrants, and they were bringing money to their family, and she was left there for a while by herself. During the time she was there, um, the city condemned the property that they'd been living in for sanitation purposes, some sort of sewage problem or something like that. And they had to leave uh, and go find another place to live. The people in that apartment complex had to leave. It was called a constructive eviction, which happens to people a lot. And she had no money to make this, this change. She had no money at all and certainly nowhere to go, and her parents were out of the country. So she had no choice but to go to the streets. And uh, she was recruited there by the Jaffa Plaza Temple. And she, again, just like um, uh, Natalia, she thought that it sounded like a good deal. She could uh, work there and she'd get room and board, you know, food Mm -hmm. and shelter. And then it didn't take her too long to figure out that um, the Cosby's were just, you know, ripping her off and not paying her any money and getting her to work there. Um, it's, a, it's a form of human trafficking. Um, it's, the, it's, the, it's compelling labor um, for work, and, you know, for, I mean, for room and board and, and not giving them a salary. So that's, they trapped her, and um, so she escaped. And she started working at a club down in the French Quarter on Bourbon Street where they did dances and such things. Um, But she also enrolled in a community um, uh, college, which was very inexpensive, and um, learned that what the Crosbys were doing was illegal. And that that comes to light later on. That's good. You asked me about, I forgot, you asked me about James. She revealed that James had been inappropriate with some of the girls who worked there Mm. and and tried to get them on drugs, and he was also addicted to drugs. He was addicted to something else, too. Wasn't exactly the nicest person to have around these young girls. No. So now we have, this was interesting. How did you create the ETC shop? And headshot, what did, what exactly were they really doing that nobody knew that they were doing? Well, they first um, opened the shop to sell as a side business to sell uh, touristy sorts mm. of um, items, the T-shirts and the cups and the other Mardi Gras beads and the other things in, in New Orleans that tourists like. But there were several uh, in the area where their, their shop was, and they just weren't doing very well, so... They changed um, the, um, they opened the um, shop as ETC um, smoking supplies, and it was a shop that carried um, um, things that you could use to smoke not only tobacco with, but cannabis with, and it was sort of a cannabis cultural sort of area where you could buy the wrapping papers and bongs and things that just were, you know, borderline illegal. So, but but um, they got away with with um, their shop there on Bourbon Street. 
So they they catered to people who who took drugs for sure. You know, they had to know it was there because they were sort of hidden in the back, and they weren't going to come out in the front. So no, this but, is even this right, is even scarier. Yeah. Yeah. So how did they find a distributor for ketamine and fentanyl? Fentanyl is dangerous. And how important are these dealings with followers? Because a lot of the, them decided um, to go into this. That's horrible. Yeah. Well, um, Mira had, you know, she, she her, her dad was a jockey, and so she knew um, some folks in the um, at the racetracks who were familiar with, let's just say, the, you know, the products used in, in animal care, um, such as ketamine, um, and um, she just became familiar with the folks down there that were doing things they shouldn't be doing. And so um, she, some of these ideas to, to change the tenor of the shop from one of a legitimate business to one that was really quite borderline and then the the other there was also some illegality going on um so that was really her her idea and um James just loved the idea so now this now we have my this is well they they made because Stacy was in jail they made her go through um psychological tests so why did the doctor say she had anxiety issues which i can't blame her if she does Right. Well, she just had the typical um, symptoms, you know, when they yeah. were when they were talking about symptoms, and she just couldn't sleep at night. She had muscle muscle tension and that sort of thing. But the doctor also just looked at Stacy and assessed her life. She was a young girl. She was very intelligent. She should have been in school, but she wasn't. Mm-hmm. Instead, she ran away from home. And um, you know, joined a cult, and you know, and now she was um, being charged with the murder of a cult leader, and something was just amiss. And so you look at those the, the facts of her life, you know, where she was and the choices she was making, and then the fact that she's having some symptoms of anxiety. She she determined that was her that was the main issue with her. She had some anxiety issues, and and um, um, some other mental health issues that made her make these choices, and um, some of the she also didn't believe she was quite telling everything that she could tell about her relationship with her mom. Well, at times she couldn't face it. So now my favorite character, Ren decides to help. So how does he help with her with her case? And tell us about Boonstone. About who? Moonstone. Oh, Moonstone. Well, Wren um, is not uh, assigned to Stacy's case, but there's a collateral murder that happens of mm. a girl named Angelina, and he actually is in charge of yeah. that case. And so he kind of keeps an eye on the entire matter, even though you know Emma doesn't talk to him about about the case because of, of there, there's some connection, you know, that men have through the Angelina murder. Um, but he keeps an eye on the case and um, is just sort of there when, um, you know, in, in 
in investigating the Angelita matter, he he is able to help uh, Emma with some of her uh, some of the investigations just by by um, sort of being there and being peripherally involved, and he's there in a protective way for Emma at all times. Um, he's the shoulder she needs to lean on, and when when she needs someone to lean on, she doesn't always. Um, but he's there. Um, and he was there at the last, um, the very last scene as well, which is very nice, I think. Well, so before I'm, I'm forget, trying not to give too much, too much away. No, don't give anybody away because there are people listening and, and there are people on my Facebook that are listening and we're not telling you anything. Too bad. Okay. So, yes. before I forget, this is, I don't know how I did this. I don't know where I was when I must have been sleeping, but I have three next week and three the week after. I never do more than two. I don't know how I oh did my. this, but okay. Yeah, I'm scary. Monday, I have Hooker Avenue by Jody Millman, one of the best books, also about a young girl um, that named Lizzie that gets accused of doing something and how she's a really strong kid and takes over her own thing. On the 24th, we have Shadow of the Gypsy. Now, this is big, people. I just got the permanent confirmation on August 25th at 10. Two interviews, two books, Iris Johansson, Face to Die For, and Captive. She wants both of them. I am, like, so excited. Yeah, she asked for the interview, Iris. And she agreed with my questions, and I I know what not to ask, trust me. On the 28th, the Patero Complex. On the 20, on the 31st, Swam Guy, and on the first, uh, Architect of Culture. I've got a whole bunch. I don't even know where I, where I am sometimes. It's amazing. <laughs> and my, if you have something coming out, people, talk to me now because I'm only have a couple of days left in December, and then we're going into January. So, who are Lenny and George and that pizza shop? which was the front for something else. Hmm. Yeah, yes, exactly. Well, uh, Lenny is a cult member. He joined the cult, and he's also the manager of the pizza shop, and he's an occasional delivery guy as well. And George is the little delivery guy who who pedals around the city on a bicycle delivering pizza. Um, The owner of the um, shop, Craig Zubowitz, he's got several pizza shops actually, but he's still mourning the death of his wife, and he's so distracted by his grief that he didn't paying attention to some illicit activities that are going on right underneath mm-hmm. his nose. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's quite a little business going on between the pizza shop and the ETC shop as well. So, so what role? Do, this was sad. What role does Raymond play, and why does he decide to live in a homeless camp, and how does he help out with a witness? Raymond is a a man who didn't adjust well after the Vietnam War, Mm. and he had been homeless on and off um, for more than 20 years. He just didn't like living in uh, a a shelter, or an apartment, or a home. He just mm. couldn't, never adjusted to normal life again after that experience. Um, but he had many talents. 
and um, um, he would uh, he had uh, political savvy, and he became this this leader of this of the homeless community in New Orleans, and um, they would have meetings, and they were they were structured. And they just sort of kept their their ear to the ground, and 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 Raymond kept them informed. He would go to city council meetings. He would protest the way the city was handling um, the the homeless population. Um, he would protest the arrests. He would ask for uh, public showers, you know, so that people could take a bath. Um, and he was just always involved whenever they had a meeting about. The homeless on any level, he he was there. He was making his himself known and the community known. Um, but because of that, people would come and talk to him. And uh, Emma had already asked uh, Raymond to keep an eye out for Stacy because at some point Stacy runs away again. And so Raymond was aware of the situation and had had. Um, Put out, you know, some sort of information to the, his community to be on lookout for this young girl. And so, one, somebody did see her on um, uh, one particular night in in the French Quarter and uh, reported um, seeing the murder um, of, of this other girl to Raymond. And so that helped um, that helped them figure out what was going on in the case. So what does Mira, Emma questions Mira, and what does she learn, but why does she stay there? Why can't she leave? She's sort of like well, stuck, and not in a good yeah. way. Well, James made Mira the executor of his estate, um, and Mira was not going to inherit anything, but she was the guardian of Jimmy that he did inherit, and she was the executor. And at first, she just wanted to go back to New York to live with her mom after mm. James died. Um, but then she realized she needed to stay close to protect what was um, Jimmy's. And um, so what Mira does at the end of the book is she mm. tells the story. She's the storyteller. She connects all the dots. And so her, uh, what she tells Stacy. Um, does just that, you know, everything is resolved, everything makes sense, and the case comes together because of what Mira says at the end. That's sad. So Mira's, that was a, yeah, this sad ending. Mira had, yeah, yeah. And then something else happens. Why, why the fire, and why was it set? Oh, it was set to to kill. Um, the people who were in that back room, which would have been Emma and Raphael. And um, it was deliberately set for that purpose. Um, I know. And it doesn't take no long in that old building. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that was a sad moment, for sure. It made huh. sense, but it was really sad. And, of course, I knew yeah. that, was, that something was going to happen. So how did you create the confrontation at the end and... Um, Tell us more about Cecilia. Oh, God, what a witch. Yeah, well, you know, I just looked at the personalities, and I knew that Emma just couldn't avoid going down that back alley. She's 
gotten mm-hmm. a little bit of of uh, an impulse disorder, <laughs> you know, where some people may not venture forth into a situation like that. Emma would, and she did. And then, you know, other people were there that um, that were observing what Emma was doing, and so the confrontation came about from that. And of course, Cecilia, um, you know, is, is um, definitely got some control issues herself, and um, mm. and so it, I just planned the um, confrontation really based on their personalities and how they would react to a situation like that. How would Cecilia react if she saw Emma in the um, back alley um, investigating? <laughs> And so that's what I came up with. That's scary. And I'm not going to say any more about that. Now, the the VA wasn't too bright. What does he miss? He was automatically, they automatically assumed Stacey was bad. That's what gets me with all this police stuff. I mean, I watch these programs, and it could be that the person is innocent, and then they turn around and go, we know you're guilty, so just say so, even if they're not. So what did the DA miss? Because he missed a lot. Right. Well, a chemical analysis of um, the um, the drug that was found in um, James and the the drugs that were found in other places. There were some differences between the chemical analysis of some drugs versus another. Uh, some drugs can't contain fentanyl, and some do not. So that was what he missed and what that meant. And it did definitely um, make a huge difference in the case. So what and happens? he seemed to sort of blow over it, too. <laughs> yeah. He just didn't seem to to want to get it. Right. And, of course, right. nobody nobody knew about this, this strange black room or anything. So after everything is whatever, what happens to Stacy? Where does she wind up, if anywhere? Well, I, it it left it. The book left that question sort of open ended, but it it, it appears I saw that, that she's <laughs> going to yeah, it appears that she's going to move forward with her education, and that her mother was going to help her move forward with her education. It was not clear if she was going to end up mm-hmm. in New Orleans. And her her mother just supporting her with with her education and that sort of thing, or whether or not she was going to go back to New Mexico, and which is where she was from, and you know be closer to her mom and work on their relationship. That was left up in the air. That was up to for Stacy to determine. The mother didn't seem as if she was going to interfere with Stacy like she had been, and that she was just going to offer her support. So the mother learned a lot from this as well. It's a hard decision to make because mm-hmm. her mother could say that she's not going to you know, try to control her or this is how you should be. But basically in her mindset, she has a mindset for Stacy. So to decide where she's going to be is going to be hard. She might want right. to try a little bit of both and see what happens. Right. So are you going to bring her back in the next one? What's the next one? And I'm going to bring Stacy back. The next one, the next book, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to bring Stacy back or not. I'm, I'm um, writing a book right now about a 19-year-old young man who's been diagnosed with schizophrenia and um, mm. has been accused, accused of killing his mother. 
So, um, so it's a complicated situation. Um, and I don't think that Stacy's and his path would necessarily cross, but it is a small town. New Orleans is a small town, so um, the last big book, this this book and the one before the redemption and then the new one, which is called A Legacy, will are all based in New Orleans. And you're going and to bring Emma. And what's Emma going to be up to next with Wren? Um, well, um, in the next one, um, they have they are married. So that's finally. Yeah, finally they finally yes they finally did it. So Emma had been putting mm-hmm. that off forever. She just couldn't I know. quite make the commitment. <laughs> yeah. So. But they 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 got together. He's just such a profound and positive influence in her life. She just couldn't avoid the commitment. So. Well, what about the boys? How do they feel? How are they going to feel about him as a stepfather? Not that I could oh, they, see why they wouldn't they, love him. Yeah, they love him. I mean, their dad had not been any influence in their life at all, and so they they love him. They think he's just great, and he handles them really well. Um, and the boys have, you know, some, they're twins, but one has, they have different personalities and, um, you know, they, they have their own issues and, but he's always a positive influence on them and with them. And they're, they do things together that, um, even though Emma might take a run with them or, um, you know, and do things with them, it's just different that they have that male influence in their life and it's really important for them. I think it's important, important for all kids. Yeah. But what I like about Ren is that he doesn't claim to be their father. He claims to be more of a support and listens to their problems or whatever, whereas a lot of step-parents feel, well, now I'm in charge, whatever. You're going to do what I tell you to do. And a lot of That's kids right. resent that. Yeah, Ren does not do that exactly. He's just so supportive. That, that is good. So, yeah. so the basis of this book was the was the cult. In the next one, when you bring Emma and Renman back, what is going to be the focus? Well, it's a, you know, the the, the young man um, has been diagnosed with schizophrenia, so there's a lot of That's... analysis of mental health issues and, um, you know, the, the DA is going to accuse this young man of malingering, which means he's just faking everything and, and that mm. sort of thing, so... Just kind of taking a look at some of those issues, and um, it's kind of an interesting path to to go down. And, and I hope I'm doing it justice. Um, I have when I have questions about anything, I, I I do not hesitate to bring in experts to take a look at these issues. Um, mm. So uh, it's um, you know I'm, I'm lucky to be able to you know talk to to folks about that kind of thing but um you know if, if i write an autopsy report or deal with you know anatomy issues mm-hmm. i make sure that these things are right <laughs> before they go into print um yeah but but so. you're lucky because i asked questions about something for my last book and i couldn't get anybody to help me and the oh, next one well. that i'm going to write I have to be really careful 
because it's going to be a true crime and it's going to be something that happened to me nine years ago. Oh. And that's still been oh. going on for the last nine years. So that's been going on for the last nine years, and I've hesitated to bring it out in the open, but because of this case is being handled so poorly, I think it's about time that I went public with what happened. And you, right. know, you find out something. Yeah, I found out something um, in a medical office that I didn't know. It was undiagnosed, and it was misdiagnosed. And as a result, mm-hmm. um, it's cost me the quality of life that I deserve. It's really hard. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And the person that did it has been collecting millions of dollars for the last umpteen years. And the people that are defending me are doing not very much about it. I've done most of the uh. work, and the other, and the person on the other side has been um, doing a lot of stuff that are unethical, and that's the oh hard part. Yeah, because yeah. when you when you do a medical thing, you have to sign authorization forms, and she's been signing hundreds of them that I never signed. She's been forging my signature, and I know it. Oh my god! And I proved it. Yeah, I proved it. And he has done nothing about it. So I'm debating about whether to write that in true crime. And they can't do anything about it because if it's the truth, there's nothing I could do. And if I make it based on a real-life incident and don't use their real names, I don't think they can do anything to, to stop yeah. me, which makes me feel so much mm-hmm. better. So that that's that's right. one. But I had you know done my Faces Behind the Stone series. I write behind the, the from the point of view of the dead body behind the gravestone. And yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you want you know, a police officer. I, I asked the fire department in my, you know, here to help me with an arson thing. I had to go look it up because they don't help. It's really sad. Even the right. public library here doesn't help. So what can I say? You're lucky. So did, that, did, how did you come up with the topics for your book for Emma? How do you decide? What, schizophrenia is good. Bipolar, all that stuff is important. There's a lot of research on it. Because mm-hmm. I dealt with children that were schizophrenic and a couple that were bipolar, and I was able to to get them some help because it's really hard. So how do you decide on the topic that you're going to use? Well, most of my um, case, you know, I've, I've practiced law for 35 years, and I have a master's in special ed too. I taught for 10 years before that. Um, so these are inspired by some real situations, um, mm. and. Um, they you know they they've been changed um it's just an inspiration it's just a a um a case that gave me some pause and struck me as interesting or unique or a topic that I wanted to sort of address mm. um you know like in the redemption I did represent a a, a 14 15 year old kid who, who was accused of uh, killing a couple of men in in um, down off Magazine Street, that um, was changed factually. Not only the names, but I mean the the facts of the case and everything were all different. But just the fact that a young man was accused of killing two men in the, in the French Quarter, and it's because um, mm. he was set up by by family members. Um, that, that which happens a lot, um, you know, these days you just, it's something you may not be familiar with, but kids are set up to take the rap for some serious crimes because mm-hmm. they hopefully would go to the juvenile detention center instead of um, the adult prison system or jail. And um, But some of the laws in the state sort of 
um, elevate the um, level of the crime for the and and make the the juveniles after a certain age like be treated as adults, and that's what happened mm. to that kid, and uh, that I represented, and um, I was able to keep him in the juvenile system. But um, you know mm. these kinds of issues give me pause, and and the situation with uh, Stacy and, and and Sanctuary, I did represent. I had I did run a homeless clinic at. Loyola Law School, and mm. um, so I met a lot of people that had some some situations in their lives that were very, very difficult to deal with. I learned a lot about poverty and how that affects life. Um, and and well, this, uh, some some kids run away from home and they're just I, they're just kind of angry kids. And mm. so there were some kids arrested in the French Quarter, and legal aid called and wanted me to help get them out of jail or deal with them or help them out. And so I met several kids um, that were, you know, living on the streets in, in New Orleans and were arrested because of it. And so some of their stories have inspired me. And this, you know, I met people who were constructively evicted and didn't have a home um, in New Orleans, you know, constructively evicted because of sanitation mm-hmm. issues. City condemns condemns the property, kicks out the people, and they're on the streets. Um, these things happen. It's just um, so you know that, that's the inspiration for my stories. Well, no wonder I like them. They're real life. I think yeah, the hardest thing I had to deal with in a hundred years of teaching was child abuse and sexual abuse. Yeah. And yeah. when they when you, when you're told something. You have to report it even if you're wrong. I was never wrong. And when you're told something, you have to report it. And educators need to know that even if you're not sure, you're better off being wrong because if you're not, you're going to get in trouble for not saying. So where can everybody find out about all of you and your books? Um, and my website, um, hopefully it was being adjusted yesterday. Hopefully it's working today. Um, which mm-hmm. is uh, www.cltolbert, that's T-O-L-B-E-R-T dot com. And you can read about me on, on my Amazon um, author page and in Goodreads on the author page. And then um, Partners in Crime, www.partnersincrime.com. Uh, also has my biography and some information about the books I write. So. Well, I want to thank you so much. This has brightened my whole day. Trust me, people. Uh, well, this thank is, this you is, so this much. This is something that really makes me feel like I know what I'm doing, that I'm doing something for people that deserve to have their books out there. I have to be very well, honest wonderful. because that's, that's me. Um, I read all the books Partners in Crime has never, maybe once or twice, some of the books were not exactly the best, but they've never given me anything where I would say to them, I'm not doing the review. Um, uh, yeah. Which which I, which I would not do. If I read a book, to be very honest, and the book is not three and a half to four stars, I won't post a review because I won't post something negative because I might not like it, but somebody else will. But I want to thank you so much, and I can't wait to get thank the next you. one. 
And are you going to oh, do another tour so with them, I would imagine, because they're the best. Yes, I will. Yeah, they are good. I really, really, really like them. They're wonderful. A and wonderful they don't give group. me a choice. They just tell me I'm going to do it. <laughs> I just get a thing. You, when, when is your next date for a review for interview, family? Because we're, we're going to send it anyway. So thank you so much, everybody. It's a beautiful day outside. Do something thank nice you. for somebody. Say something nice. Do a kindness. Everybody have a great day, and bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.